Well, welcome to our series, Epic. And last week, we kind of kicked it off and kind of gave you an introduction of the series. If you missed it, you can catch that on our website. We have our podcast there, and you can get it on iTunes, too, if you do that kind of thing. But uh, what we are doing over the course of this series is looking at the entire Bible from beginning to end. It's kind of a zoom-out view of the Scriptures, and that really helps us get a perspective as to what God is doing through the whole Bible. So we can get into context some of these other stories and how they all fit. And so last week we kind of outlined kind of those big six themes that go all throughout the scripture that really tell us the salvation story. Because that's what the Bible is really about. It's a salvation story for all of us to save humanity. And so uh, those six things we'll be covering over these, uh, these coming weeks. And today I'm going to start with the first one, creation. So we're starting literally uh, in the beginning. Literally in the beginning. And I'm going to be talking about the real foundational aspects that the beginning of the Bible unpacks. And it says kind of these important principles that we kind of have to get firm and secure in order to understand all of the rest. And so we'll get into that in a moment. Well, whenever we talk about origins, whenever we talk about the beginning of the universe, there is a lot of controversy that can come around with that. And uh, there is lots of different depictions and stories and, and explanations about the universe. I'm not going to get too far into the weeds in regards to science today. We do have a Bible study that corresponds with this, and we'll get into that a little bit more and start talking about it. But the, the reality is, is that people from the beginning of time have looked out in the stars, looked out at the universe, and wondered and said, how could all of this be? And, you know, uh, I, I recently, with my family, we were looking at watching a couple of uh, documentaries that, that told the story of some of the NASA programs and the millions and millions of dollars that they put into it to send cameras out that would go out to space for like 40 years and just keep floating and keep taking pictures and the incredible technology that that took and all of this stuff just to you know kind of see these things. And over the course of generations and the, these recent generations, the things that we've learned is the universe is absolutely enormous and unbelievable. And, and many of the things in the universe are way beyond all kinds of explanation or thought that we had previous. Um, that, that the universe now, we see that it's so much bigger and so much more complex than we could ever have imagined. And now... Uh, in this generation, we're coming to conclusions, and science is coming to conclusions. Again, I'm not going to get the weeds of this, but that it's way more confusing than we ever thought before. That there's a bunch of things that we don't even understand or we don't even know. When the physicists are looking out into the, into the universe and seeing how the planets are, are corresponding with each other and the galaxies and the, and the stars and all of these things, how the gravitational pull works and how the forces work amongst one another, they're looking out there and saying, it doesn't make any sense. All of our models are wrong. And recently, they have come to the conclusion that 98% of the universe's matter is missing. They don't know where it is. It's completely invisible. 
And so the modern, modern day uh, look at the universe is now we spent all these millions of dollars to look out there and discover and try to figure it out, which is a cool, interesting pursuit. And we look out into the universe and we say, we understand and can perceive 2% of it, but 98% of it is completely invisible. So we'll just call that dark matter. And we'll call it dark matter because there's something out there, but we can't see it. And we don't know what it is. But it's got to be out there because it doesn't work without 98% more matter than what we can perceive. It's pretty amazing and it's phenomenal. And so in modern times, we've gone out there and it's way more interesting and fascinating than we ever could have imagined. And I love watching those things and thinking about those things. And I love going out and looking at the stars. That's, that's kind of like a peaceful thing for me to do. It's like if there's too much going on, I'll walk either early in the morning or late at night and go look at the stars. Because it's like, wow, it is unbelievable and incredible. But you know what is so fascinating about that is that the creation story in Scripture in one chapter does more to answer some questions that are really pertinent to our lives than all of these studies do combined. Because the reality is all the scientific studies are struggling with two really important pieces of the equation. It's, it's where... Did it all come from? And the second question is, why does it exist? Those two questions are just not something that science can even tackle. They can't even deal with it. And so uh, the millions of dollars and the efforts and the brain power to explore the outer reaches of the universe, really, they don't even attempt to find meaning in it because they can't. There is no meaning in just a pursuit of looking at stuff just to know how it works. But, to, but the two questions that we're going to deal with is where and why. Because that matters quite a bit, right? It matters quite a bit. Where did this come from? What is the origin of it? And the question of why is even more significant. Why? What is the point of it all? If it's just endless stargazing for the, for the idea of just knowing trivia about stars, that's fun for a period of time. But then in the end, it leaves you with no answers. And that's what the scripture deals with and the scripture tackles. And so um, there is undoubtedly two kind of very different pictures of reality between what science can offer and what the scripture talks about. Uh, John Wesley, who is one of the um, uh, uh, inspirations behind the groups that we have uh, come from, uh, talks about how Genesis 1 and 2 gives us a more satisfying and useful origin or knowledge of the origin of the universe than all the volumes of the philosophers. And that's an interesting claim. But I think it's true when you really are thinking about those two questions of where and why. Where and why. So we're going to start right there in the beginning. And we're going to look at the first chapter in the Bible. So I encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look through. And there's three major things that Genesis 1 communicates to us that we're going to look at. Um, and, and there's lots of other things involved too. Um, 
and we will save some of those things for our discussion in our Bible study. But I want to read this account. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be a, a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters, uh, the gathered waters he called sea. And God saw that it was good. When God said, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees in the land that will bear fruit and seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky. Separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times, the days, the years. Let them be light in the vault of the sky to give their light on the earth. It was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars, set them in the vault of the sky to give, them, give light on earth, to govern the day and the night. To separate light from darkness, God saw that it was good. And then there was evening and the morning, the fourth day. God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created creatures of the sea and every living thing. With which the water teems and then moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Then God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground. The wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. It will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. 
And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, the morning, and the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all its vast array. So, so it's an interesting portion of scripture that I really want to point out three things. And I'm not going to get into all of the, the days and talk about all of those because that would take too much time. But um, the first thing that is repeated uh, or at the very beginning and is kind of like the major theme of the entire thing is it says in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created God initiated. In the beginning, God set this all into motion. Yes, the universe is an absolutely mysterious, amazing place. And, and, and it's completely uh, complex. And it's completely like uh, amazing every time we start looking at it and thinking about it and looking at all the complexity of it. And the beginning of Scripture gives us the picture that it is on purpose. There's no accident. It is intentionally created by a higher being, by the God of the universe. You know, so fascinating over the course of over the course of time, how, you know, how our discoveries have come to the point where we look at the the smallest things in the universe and the incredible complexity that lies within each cell of the human body, within the DNA, that it's an incredibly complex uh, almost computer-like code that makes up every little cell in our body. And it's an amazing thing. Some of the, the, the people who have, who have begun to look at these things in great detail has said, this is incredibly complex. And it's almost amazing that you can, you, you can see how the pieces fit together in its, in its precision and how it works. And so the beginning of the story, and there's so many different ideas and philosophies all around, but the beginning says this, and it's really important. It says, in the beginning was God. God initiated. God created. God set this in motion. Sometimes we have uh, interesting ideas or theories. We think, you know, the, maybe the universe was just kind of here always, and that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. There was a start. There was a beginning to a story, and this is kind of what sets the stage for everything that's to come, is that there is a beginning, and then there is a middle, and there is an end. There is a, a, a plan for this. It's not just a movie on loop that goes on forever and ever and has, has no purpose, no rhyme or reason whatsoever. There is a purpose behind it. And so God creates, and God initiates and God is at the center of it all. And that's really important as we're talking about the story of Scripture. That we establish that right away. That we, we start to establish, if we're going to really engage the Scriptures honestly, that that is the starting point. That is the starting point. Because we can create the Bible in our image. We can create the universe in our image. We can create all kinds of different depictions and pictures of what we would like existence to be. And in the beginning of the story, it says, no, God initiated. God started this. This is God's world. And it's hard in our modern day and in our culture to, to grasp that because there's things that we wish were different. 
We, we, we're like, God, you, you got this whole world, and it's a big mess. I wish it was different than this. We read things in the scripture, and we're like, I wish it was different than this. How come this is, this is, this is the way it is? And we'll get into the, the reasons for some of that really next week. But at the start of the story, you have to come to grips with the fact, are you going to make a decision that you believe that first statement or not? Because if God is the beginning, if God is all of it, all other questions that we have about existence are just starting to understand what he's doing. Because if God did, if God created, if God initiated, if God is in control, then then we just need to say, God, what do you want? What are you doing? Let me try to get on board. And that's really what this series is about, is saying we need to get on board with God's story and not just try to make up our own, not just try to write our own story of history. We need to say, God, in the beginning you created, and you created for a purpose and reason. And so this is, it's yours. It's your world. So what do you want from me? Too often we kind of halfway answer that question. And that is wrought with all kinds of problems. If we halfway answer that question and say, yeah, I think that at the beginning of it, there's a creator. I think that that's possible. It's easy to just kind of like move on and slide on and say, so there's some things I like, some things I don't. And so I'll kind of just pick and choose what I'd like to accept as a part of this reality. There's some things I would, I would like to follow and other things that are a little more challenging. But if, if the truth is that God created, God initiated, God's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, if that point is true, then that changes everything then all other truths have to come under that truth. All other philosophies, opinions, ideas have to come under the authority of that. Because this is God's world. And the reality is there will always be unanswered questions. If there wasn't unanswered questions, then you would kind of be the divine, right? You would be the one that, has, that understands how all of this came into being order and and being but if that is a true statement that god was in the beginning god created out of nothing god formed and breathed life into us then all other truth has to come under that that truth and we have to move forward with that and that's what we our world is so full of all of these narratives all these ideas all these objectives and God's objective starts right here and says, this is the story, my story. In the beginning was God. And that answers the where that science can't come up with, that, that without any kind of explanation of where it all came from, you can't come to like a starting point of starting to order your life in a way that makes sense. The second statement that runs throughout this whole chapter is it was good. 
You see that after uh, most of the, the days of creation, as it says at the conclusion of it, it says it was good in verse 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, 31. Uh, it says at the conclusion of all those, it says it was good. Now, you may argue, this is the point that is, is one that is easy to argue with. This is one that is easy to kind of say, how could that be? I know about all of these bad things that have happened in my life. I've seen all kinds of bad things all around me. I see destruction. I see death. I see just, just awful things. This existence, maybe it has good. I like the sunsets, you know, over, over the Rockies. That's a nice, that's a nice touch. That's a, that's a good one. But... In its totality, how can you say it is good? This is a really important point that like, sets the stage for the salvation story of Scripture. Is that the Scripture says, in its original intent and creation, what God created was good. What God created was sinless. What God created was, was purposeful and meaningful and was good. And in its, its original form was exactly how God intended it. It was a good thing in a good place. And God looks at it and says, this is amazing. There's moments in time where we catch a glimpse of that. And we catch glimpses and pictures of that. But it's in, in its entirety, that's hard to stomach. Because we live in the here and now. In a time of pain, death, sin, sorrow, disease, all of it. But the scripture says the beginning of the story was good. And you have to understand that that point is significant because it moves us through the rest of the story where there's some bad stuff that takes place. But it returns inevitably to the good. God's original creation and intention was not for sin, not for death. Not for ruined relationships, not for, for all the things that divide and hurt and harm. That was not the intent. It was not God's intent. And that's not what God created. And so the scripture says it was good. There is another um, statement in here that is critical to our understanding of the rest of scripture. And it says that we were made in God's image. In verse 26, it says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That is a really profound statement that many people have spent countless hours and days thinking about and trying to understand. Let's try to get a handle over what does that mean to be made in the image of God, to be in the image bearer of God. Well, there's a couple of things that are you know, kind of tucked away in this and we understand through the rest of the scripture. And I'm going to give you kind of three pictures that um, theologians have discussed and kind of talked about as what the image of God really means. The first one being the natural image. The, the, the image that gives us the capacity for relationship. Capacity for freedom. 
the capacity for reason. Kind of that, that natural image, that picture that we have the opportunity and possibility to choose, to reason, to think. And this is, this is something that God gives uniquely to human beings. And this is something that doesn't, is not a part of the rest of creation. And it's interesting, sometimes we may think, why did God give people the opportunity to make choices in their life? Why would God do that? Why would God create us that way? Well, he did create other beings that don't have kind of that same opportunity. Those are the animals that live on instinct, that move and live on instinct and do things. The other day, our dog was out going to the bathroom in the yard and, and was taking too long. And then after a little while, we were like, what is our dog doing out there? And we found he was going to town on this little dead bird out there. And my wife was like, what is going on? Bad dog, don't do that. And she was like, she was like get away from that thing. And it was like, and, but really the reality of it, the dog did nothing wrong, right? This is what dogs do. If they find something like that, they, by instinct, are, are just living their life to survive. And they're living their life to do those things. Yes, we have these, these interesting conceptions, and most of it is, is formed by uh, animated movies, about all the emotional spectrum that the animals have. And yeah, they have a little bit. But you know what? Uh, they're like, oh, my dog loves me so much and loves me. Uh, like, you know what? If you stop feeding that dog and somebody else starts feeding him, let's see how long that love would last, okay? It is that dog loves being fed and cared for, all right? And that is, that's okay. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's fun to engage in the simple, just basic form of creation, those kind of animals, and see that picture. But you know what is, is, is why it's so interesting is because there's a distinction. There is difference. Is that there is creatures that live on instinct. The geese do not like gather around and say, hey, you know what? It's kind of getting cold. What do you guys think we should do? They don't have this kind of inner dialogue. They don't have the reason. They don't have like the freedom to kind of think in this way. They live and they respond and they react by the instinct that was put within them to survive. And that's how they exist. But human beings were uniquely set apart. And it's something, as you look at the created order, that is, that is so unexplainable as far as the difference between human beings and the rest of the animal kingdom. It's so distinctly different, so profoundly different, that, that by nature, human beings are able to reason and have freedom. Freedom and reason gives you the capacity for relationship. Without it... It's, it, it's transactional, or it's just instinct. But the freedom of relationship is the freedom to love freely and choose freely how you will respond and react to others. And it's also the freedom to hate and to harm others. 
The freedom that's contained in the possibility and the capability of love is also the same exact freedom that gives human beings the capacity to hate. But it's something that God said, I will, within human beings, give them the image of God, the capacity for reason, love, and relationship. And really, that's at the core of the why of creation, is that love, that relationship. And that is what the whole story of Scripture unfolds. It's a salvation story where it brings us into relationship with our Creator. And so the natural image is that freedom and reason. There's another image that is kind of alluded to in Genesis 1.28, and that's the political image. Genesis 1.28 says... Um, it's actually 126. I wrote it down wrong. Um, God said, let's make mankind of our image and our likeness. So they may rule over the fish um, and the birds and all that stuff. It's the rule part. It's the image that we are to govern. That we are to be the ones that care and are caretakers for the world. We're responsible for this place. We have, with that freedom, we have the onus of responsibility and accountability. And so we've been given that authority to rule. We've been given the opportunity and been entrusted with some tasks. We've been entrusted with responsibility. We're not going to hold an animal accountable for global political things going on. We're not. We're not going to we're not going to hold these other creatures accountable for these things. But God says, I've been given you the image that also gives you some ruling authority, a political purpose and image that is means you have some responsibility over what's going on around here. And in some regards, it gives us some creative license and ability to create and make this world the place that we want it to be. So in, in some sense, God gave us this universe and created, but it gave us some freedom to be a part of this creation. And that points to why we are where we're at, is God gave us that caretaker role. The third, third image of made in the image of God is the moral image. We are called to demonstrate the goodness of God. We're called to live to a high standard, to demonstrate the goodness of God to all creation, to bear the image of God. And that is, that is, of course, a part of that call and that responsibility to care is that it should be a moral, there should be a moral compass that's involved with that. There should be a discernment and an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And this is how God kind of institutes and puts people over the, the course of the rest of humanity or the course of the rest of the creation and says, you are to be the image bearers of God. You have a, a unique role in this whole story. And so God calls us to these, the, the picture of not just uh, we exist and we have freedom and reason, but we're called to be holy, to be honorable, to live up to something of virtue and an ideal. 
And so we're, we're made for relationships. We're made to participate in creation. And we're made to be holy, to be moral, to follow something that means more than just surviving off of instincts or appetites. Something that goes beyond that and is more significant and important and gets to the deeper levels of what it is. That's the image that God put on our hearts. The ability for us to, to, to go to those places instead of just be ruled by what is programmed within us. You know, this scripture, a lot of times, it, it, it kind of turns the worldview upside down, starting with chapter one. It turns kind of our understanding of everything on its head. One of the things that is regularly spoken about when it's talking about human beings is kind of the first character trait that is mentioned is our fallibility and our sinfulness. You know, to err is human, right? That's kind of at the core of who we are. That's kind of what is the first thing that comes to mind. And that is undoubtedly true, that we sin. And at the core of who we are, we, there is sin. But that's chapter two, okay? And we're going to get to that next week. But understand what the scripture is saying right here. Humanity is the, the highlight of creation with the image of God stamped within it. That, that, that to be human, to really be human as it was intended in the beginning, as created by God, is not to err, not to sin, not to destroy. That's not what human is. What is human is to uh, be intentional, intentional, purposeful, being in relationship with our creator, caring for the world, all of these things that are so important and valuable. That is what it is to be human. And really, when we sin, it's not, it's not just another attribute of humanity. It's the destruction of humanity. It's destruction of what God's original intent was. It's destruction of what was good. Our goal, really, in life is not to be less human. Our goal is to learn what humanity is and was created for and to be more human and be more uh, following the image that God created us in. That's the call that God has for us. Be more human. Be more of what you were created to be. Don't do the things that destroy. Do the things that, that care for and build relationship in this world. So these three pictures are what we have in the first chapter. God initiates. It is good. Don't forget that principle that God's creation is good. And you were created in the image of God. I invite you to pray with me.
God, thank you for these foundational principles, these first truths, these first things that are revealed to us to help us make sense of this story. God, that you say to us that you are in control of it all. This is not a random sequence of events. This is not an accidental creation. But God, with intention, you brought these things into being. And God, what you created was good. God, I pray that we would be able to reclaim and embrace this story of creation that you've, you've given us. That we are created in the image of God. We're created to care, to be in relationship, to participate in your unbelievable creation, to be holy, honorable, moral. And God, thank you for giving us the unbelievable privilege and honor to have the capacity to do that. But God, without your help, we know we're in trouble. So God, today, we embrace these principles. And we say, God, this is your world, your creation, your story. God, help us to walk in your way, your will, your desire for our lives. Help us to put all those other stories and pictures of the universe aside and look to you and say, God, you are the one that is the, is the where it came from and the why. I invite you just in your own time, own space right here, just to Reflect on these three big truths, these principles. It's quite possible, and it is the case for me, that as I reflect on these three things, the way that I think about myself and my life has to, has to change. If God's in control, that changes things. If I've been made in the image of God, that changes things. If what God created is good, that's, that changes the way I should look at what God's doing in this world. Open yourself up to what God is telling you is true about this universe. And cry out to God for help and forgiveness. Forgiveness. 